Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. I just have a quick announcement before we start the show. This weekend, June 23rd and 24th, Mike and I are going to be at the Haunted America Conference in Alton, Illinois. If you happen to be going, please make sure and say hello to us if you see us anywhere. You'll be able to find us at our See You on the Other Side booth in the vendor area. We'll also be attending a lot of the presentations going on, and you'll probably be able to find us at the hotel bar during any of the conference downtime and at the end of the day. Also, we're going to do a special live performance of some of the songs we've written for this podcast on Friday, the 23rd of June at 5 p.m. So we hope to see you there. And now on to today's episode. I'm so excited that this week is the summer solstice. Oh, yes. And it's Make Music Day on that day. It is Make Music Day. And this year we are celebrating the solstice. I mean, we're not going to like... uh, We're not sacrificing a goat or anything like that. They will have a drum circle at the park by my house, of course, on the solstice. Uh All the hippies in Madison get together. I was going to say, better get ready for naked people. Right. They they, (laughs) They go hand in hand with drum circles, don't they? (laughs) They do. They bring out out their bongos and everybody goes to play Mm -hmm. by the lake in the summer solstice. Uh, But the way we are sacrificing our goat this year in the summer solstice is by playing three acoustic shows on Wednesday. Woohoo, yeah, that'll be fun. We're going to be running all over Madison from one place to the next, setting up, performing, and taking off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, your city, wherever it is, might be running the same kind of thing. Yeah. So this started in uh, Paris in like the 1980s or something. Les Fêtes de Musique. Ah, Paris, c'est magnifique. And uh, I actually was there for one of them, and I thought it was pretty sweet. And I was like, why are there just people playing music in the street? And not that people don't usually play music in the street, but it was every corner. There was like amplifiers and things like that. I'm like, what? Every musician was out. Yes. I'm at like, the same time. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is going on? And this was, you know, a few years ago. And then I looked it up on the internet, whatever. And there was a, they have the thing in Paris. They've had it since the 80s where they try to fill music in every street corner on the summer solstice. And we have that in Madison too called Make Music Madison. And then, uh, so we'll be celebrating anyway. We just want to let you know about Yeah, I think it's a neat tradition for that date. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's a holiday that a lot of us forget about. You know, so this Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2017, when you're out there uh, on Wednesday, just remember it's the longest day of the year. So try to enjoy it. Or, mm. uh, or I mean, you don't have to celebrate. You don't have to go pagan style or hippie style or even music style. Just find a, find a way to enjoy your solstice day because it is an awesome holiday. Definitely. I agree. Anyway, so we're excited about that. Yes. And we had a big weekend, so we're coming off of that and just rolling right into it. Had the Between the Waves Music Festival here in Madison, which was the first year of its existence. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Mike, you were very involved in it. Yes, I was. I was running all the tech for the presenters and we had some seriously interesting presenters. Mm-hmm. So it's a music conference where people talk about different music related topics. But like they had uh, the Avid Brothers and Americana Band do like a session on songwriting and singing. Kip Winger from the band Winger and also Grammy nominated classical artist. He did like he did a whole session on, you know, the, the way he writes songs and his history and things like that. There wasn't enough paranormal for me. Um, <laughs> I agree. 
<laughs> I was hoping, oh, Butch Vig, who does all of the, uh, he, he's the drummer for Garbage, and he's the guy that produced Nevermind by Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Sparkle and Fade by Everclear. Anyway, if you like any kind of 90s rock music, Butch Vig's hand was somewhere near the dials. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> on there. And it was actually recorded in Madison. Uh, a lot of it was recorded in Madison. But anyway, so he, uh, he did, we did a session with Butch, and I was hoping he'd have some kind of haunted uh, studio story, but I, I wasn't the one directing the questions, so I couldn't sneak that in there and be like, Butch, tell us about a haunted studio. Yeah. Um, the, the one person I did ask a haunted question of was uh, the woman who works at the Les Paul Foundation. Oh, right. Okay. So Yeah, well, go ahead. because Les Paul was from Waukesha, Wisconsin. And I know this because as the ghost tour guide for the Waukesha ghost tour, Mm -hmm. uh, I learned some things about that. But they have the giant Les Paul guitar artwork all over the downtown Waukesha. Mm -hmm. And so you asked if if they had any stories related to him or things that he experienced. Did Les Paul ever, because this this woman for the foundation, she spent hours and hours and hours interviewing Les Paul and talking to him. Now, if you guys don't know who he is, he was a famous musician in the 19... uh, 30s and 40s. I mean, all the way up to 1950s. And he basically invented a lot of the technology that musicians use. So he was a pioneer in electric guitars. There's still a guitar named after him, Les Paul. Slash plays it. If you know it's Slash or, or uh, Zach Wilde from Ozzy's band plays it. Tons of famous people play the Les Paul guitars. But he uh, he was an inventor. He, he pioneered that guitar. He pioneered like different track recording. So like whenever you're doing a layering of music... Or even just talking, that's called like different track recordings. So you lay down a track, then you lay down another one, then you lay down another one. Um, Les Paul came up with that. Like he just he so amazing. Yeah, he figured out how to do it. And uh, in addition to being like a, a rock star, and so it, it, just an amazing, interesting person. But I was like, oh my god, you spent hours talking to him. Like we're doing this, we have this haunted tour of Waukesha, and the Les Paul guitars are everywhere. And just wondering, does Les Paul have any ghost stories? And uh, she said, no. <laughs> that was it. She's like, she's like, you know what? It never seemed that it just wasn't something he was interested in. Hmm. You know, even as okay. he was, even as he was approaching his own, I mean, facing his own mortality. And mm. after the death of his wife Mary Ford, he. Uh, he didn't talk about ghosts. Well, Mike, as we know, it's one of those things. People right. either are really into it or somewhat into it, or they're just not at all. <laughs> right. Or they just don't care. So, they just don't think about it. Yeah. If it, well, thanks for trying anyway. Yeah. Well, well, if there was any person who would know besides Les himself, it would be her because she's the one who helped, you know, she's helping chronicle his life and, yeah. and keeping on his legacy. My mother's like that. Like if it weren't for horror movies, she wouldn't, you know, the idea of any kind of supernatural stuff. And she's a churchgoer, but the idea of supernatural stuff, she'd just look at you and be like, get out of here. Yeah. I get that sometimes when I tell people about our podcast. Mm-hmm. I get kind of like the eye roll head shake. Right. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, if you're not into it, that's okay. Well, one of the reasons I think that, um, that this makes a good segue into it is mm. because it's, those people uh, are skeptical. They, you know, they're just naturally skeptical about these phenomena about ghosts, about UFOs, about Bigfoot. Um, and, and we tend to, I mean, I think really there is a real negative uh, negative vibe against skeptics in the paranormal world, wouldn't you uh, say? Yeah, sure, definitely. Because yeah. they're like the poo-poo party people. <laughs> right, they're always bringing the party down. 
And but but the thing is, uh, in the second part of our conversation, so this is the second part of a two-part conversation with uh, UFO author Robbie Graham and uh, UFO author Mike Cleland, who are part of this new book that it's a great book that Robbie has edited called UFOs: Reframing the Debate. The second part of our conversation, this is about really covers skepticism and really covers why skepticism is important. Yes. And if you haven't heard part one yet, please check it out. It's at othersidepodcast.com slash 148 or just one, episode 148 in your podcast player. But you'll want to hear the first half of it leading up to this because it's pretty interesting. It's, <laughs> it's super fascinating. And also, uh, it's all about a concept called high strangeness. Mm-hmm. And high strangeness is a, is a term that was coined by Dr. J. Allen Hynek who used to be the person from Project Blue Book, the Air Force study into UFOs in the 1960s and 70s. Anyway, uh, Dr. Heineck will also be the focus of our episode next week as we have his chronicler, new biography about Dr. Heineck has just been released and we're doing the interview tomorrow night. So this kind of all connects. So if any of the high strangeness stuff or skepticism interests you, you're going to want to subscribe to the podcast, othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. You're going to want to go there, uh, get on the list, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcatcher, if it be iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, because we're definitely covering topics over the next few weeks that you're going to really enjoy. So uh, without further ado, let's go to UFOs Reframing the Debate, Part 2. I don't know. It just feels like that's not what the, we, you know, we have those. We have file cabinets full of those. We have like, you know, there's websites just cataloging and archiving those stuff. Well, have you guys seen the documentary, The Man Who Sees UFOs, right? The documentary? I have seen it, yeah. And, um, you know, it just, he sees some weird stuff in the sky, like little, you know, like just little lights moving all around. And by the time, you know, you're, if you're with him for six months, by the end of it, you're like, well, those little lights aren't doing anything, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like what you know what's what's the real, so I know what you're saying that you do have you you keep reading experiences and you keep reading about it and in the end you're like is there anything to do with all that information you know and and Allison I was interested in, in your perspective too um, because I know you and I used to have a same kind of idea about of course the government conspiracies and things like that but when you saw something how did that change your mind well what I saw is is you know not as dramatic as as the stories that we're hearing today, it was just a UFO because it's still unidentified. Um, and it was um, in, in a situation where I'm just driving to work uh, in the morning and I saw um, strange objects in the sky. They were uh, rectangles uh, and there were two of them. And inside the rectangles were three um, lights, I guess, or circles. I, I mean, it was it was the full light of day. Um, so but they looked they looked brighter than the rest of it. Um, so, you know, I thought that they were lights, just three lights um, in a row in a rectangle, and then another, um, just like it, um, a little bit off to the side and lower than the other one. And, uh, you know, it's, when, when things happen to me, usually they're, they're so fleeting, but they still happen. And I'm like, hey, what is that thing? And you know, what do you do? What, what do you do? You're, you're um, on the expressway. You know, I was, I was valiantly trying to, you know, take pictures right. just in, with in, my phone. Endangering, just endangering the drivers of Milwaukee. That's right. Life and limb. Did it change your like, ideas of, like when we were talking about here and some of the things that Mike is, is describing are almost, I mean, yeah. it's beyond 
uh, visual. You know, I, I look you 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 see well, something right. with your eyes that's weird, but then if you have a feeling associated right. with it that goes beyond the visual, did you yeah. did you have that? And did you smell sulfur um, outside of uh, outside of whatever you had for breakfast? <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm always smelling sulfur. If you know what I mean. Um, no, I, I did did not have any other senses. It was just these strange things in the sky, and I'm going through the list. Uh, you know, is it is it flares? But you know that didn't work. It, you know, is it a drone? No, I've seen drones. You know, you go through all these things, and you're like, what was it? And then you're at work, and then it's over. So, I mean, the the biggest um, aha moment for me in that experience was that. And I've seen this more and more lately where strange things happen, but you just have to go on with regular life and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know where do you put that experience in this very narrow uh, concept that our dominant culture seems to have of life. You, you know, I think you just discard you do, it. You do a podcast. Away. Now, there's other. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, well, that's true. Um, but there's other um, subjective experiences that I've had that I've shared with you, Mike, like my experiences with uh, a trickster a trickster entity. I, I work at a Native American school, and um, at one point we felt, uh, a lot of the people there felt that, um, you know, there may have been a, a trickster at play. And um, and, and so I, I broke my ankle, and, you know, there, there's at least one person in the building that when I say, say refer to that time when I broke my ankle, she's like, nope, you did not do that. It was done to you. Um, but I have to acknowledge that there were strange experiences that are very subjective, like you're saying, Mike, um, that happened along with that, which make me see, see, you know, originally I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have chalked it up to a trickster, but then when all there, there's these little subjective jokes that happen and and the things that make you question reality uh, with animals not with um I, I had i had one uh experience uh, this this year with um that that i felt was related to this trickster entity where um it was like calling my attention to something uh by having these little uh these baby um ground squirrels chipmunks they just came out of the forest. I, I was measuring a mushroom. I was that's what I was doing there. I was uh, standing measuring a mushroom. And then these these baby uh chipmunks kept spilling out of the forest like right at my feet. And then they would run back in and then they and I'm like, hey, I'm not snow white. What are you guys doing? Um, but then that kind of called my attention to something else I had been wondering about. And so I think we have to watch for what is going on in our environment and when we see something that is a clue that maybe some non-ordinary reality is at play uh we should pay attention to it and then see what comes see what synchronicities come there may be a message in it for us and i know how that sounds uh it's not really accepted in this dominant culture but now in other cultures it is and it's a different way of knowing and I think we need to embrace these different ways of knowing just as we embrace it. Sounds, I mean, from what you've just said there, Alison, you, you could have written one of the essays in the book. Um, I mean, very, the, the, <laughs> you know, all of, the, all of the themes that you've just touched on there are explored throughout the book, including um, the, the trickster concept. Um, and But, but those, those essays and those ideas form only um, one aspect of, of the book because, as I say, that I think the value in what we've done here if there is value in it, is, is that, that we are presenting conflicting perspectives within one volume so that 
we are almost playing trickster ourselves in this in the sense that we we can found uh, we can found the 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 reader ask them to think outside the box and make them uncomfortable and infuriate them um, as you as you said um, Mike at the beginning that it's an infuriating book it is and and that's the that's the point you know why read something that just confirms what you already feel comfortable in believing um, if you don't challenge yourself to 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 explore new ideas and and push yourself into critical thought then then you're just going to stay stuck in the stuck in your ideological mud. You know, that's how I felt. You know, I had to force myself to finish Smiles Lewis's essay because that to me was too much. It was like, okay, what is this? You know, is this uh, Madame Blavatsky or whatever we're talking? You know, I just, it was going on. And I'm like, is this a parody? But the thing is, at the end of it, I mean, I did even find a quote that put in the notes and stuff like that that I, that I thought was interesting. So sometimes when you're reading something where you don't feel comfortable or you don't agree, you got to push yourself to make it to the end. And then you find, even if you, if you question your own ideas a little bit or it gets you thinking something new at the end of it, um, then it's worth reading because you've got you've some growth out of it. That's the idea. Yeah, the, the whole book is really a thought experiment. You know, it it is. Um, it's it's and it's it, we achieve what we do. I think if we do achieve anything through the content of the essays themselves, but also th- through the way that they're presented, and and it will. You know, whether whether you're a skeptical believer, for lack of more nuanced terms, you will find something within the book that will please you and offend you. Um, sometimes you know, from essay to essay. Um, Sometimes on the same page. Sometimes on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I think think that's, you know, when you have a a work of greatness, I mean, that's kind of how you tell, is is does it really stretch you? Uh, You know, does it challenge you? Uh, Like the trickster, is it trying to teach you something in in all this frustration? Uh, You know, so you you guys should be Mm -hmm. very proud. Uh, of what you created because I think I think um for us to figure out what's going on with UFOs we have to go through some kind of cultural evolution and and really question reality really question our perceptions uh there's there's so much that we need to do you know like Mike was saying earlier about um you know not being able to wrap his head around certain things uh, in the past, and now coming to the point where he can accept that, you know, I, I think, um, you know, as a species, we need to move towards more acceptance, not less. Well, and, and Mike, I know that uh, you had a little bit more to say as we were talking about the men who saw UFOs right before I jumped on and Allison shared the experience. Um, you had a little bit more to say, so I kind of wanted to get back to you, so we didn't miss out on that perspective. Oh, you know that I kind of, you know, I, that movie kind of bugged me. I thought they, that the guy was, they kind of, I mean, he was an easy target to make fun of, and they kind of like it felt like a little bit of the stuff was a little mean spirited. How they like, you know, but but when I'm, it's surprisingly common the number of people who actually just go out and videotape UFOs. It's really not. It's sort of common. There's a lot of people that I know that you could make that same documentary about them, and oftentimes those little dots in the sky are there. It's it's kind of infuriating in the sense that that's what you're oftentimes when on video, you just get these weird little dots, you know, that do these kind of things. They stay out at the edge. Um, you know, people aren't, aren't the people don't have a close up of the UFO landed in the backyard, you know, that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's an elusive little speck in the sky. And, and the problem is our vision is much different, right? I mean, obviously if you, if, um, you try to take a photograph of the moon, a full moon at night, and then you look at the picture. You take it with your phone, especially, and it looks like you mm-hmm. look at the picture. You know, it's like it's a dot. You know, so uh, 
Yeah, this is very elusive. Very elusive. So that yeah, that one documentary is is surprisingly common. Um, so here, this is this part of my evolution in this in a funny way, is I used to you know so I would I got so like I was so needy in a way I was going to these UFO conferences, and I would um, uh, you know I would kind of shave and wear a blazer and kind of you know wear a shirt that wasn't wrinkly and kind of you know did a, did my best to be presentable and you're know, right, a conference right. situation you want people to take it seriously so you'd be like hello you know, crazy ladies. Well, a little more like, you know, hey, I, I want to talk to you and I want to be taken seriously because there's UFO conventions are there. The caricature is real. There's some some weirdos there. So, yeah, um, awesome. but, uh, you know, so I talked to the guy who's collecting government documents and I'd walk across and I talked to the lady who is channeling aliens. And I talked to the next person who's, you know, uh, you know, getting the metallurgical tests of little fragments of something that he found in the deserts of of uh new mexico and then you talk to the you know the the you know the psychic lady and and it's so i was comfortable sort of playing both you know like both sides of the field i could you know be completely at peace talking to the nuts and bolts crew and then i could be at completely at peace talking to the to the flighty new age people who who say oftentimes they they you know they'll say things they'll 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 editorialize their own experience in a way that kind of you know makes my toes curl in my shoes sometimes but you know, I think they they would also share the real experiences that they've had, and it it didn't. It, I mean, I've heard those stories so many times now. But anyway, so it, there came a point when I did a presentation. This was at the conference in uh, the International UFO Congress, and I the very first talk I gave on a stage was there, which is kind of a big deal. It's a big conference, so there I was, you know, like as the same person. I'd been to the conference a bunch of years in a row, so I kind of knew folks, and and all of a sudden I had a name tag on. It said speaker, and you could look just look in the in the the little um catalog and it would say you know mike cleland owls synchronicity in the ufo abductee it doesn't get any more you know trippy and and out there than that and i was recognized it in i was so different the experience of being that conference when i had a name tag that that had my you know basically like a blinking yellow light that said that said or blinking red light that said you know new age weirdo and I was shunned by the nuts and bolts people. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's what it felt like. And I was so embraced by the love and light crew. So it was all of a sudden I, I lost the ability to to be the honeybee that could just flit from flower to flower to flower. And I was sort of sucked into one corner and couldn't and wasn't accepted by the other corner. And it was a remarkable experience in the sense that I, I sensed it right away that like, oh, my gosh, you know, when you. Like I, I don't look new agey and though I, the stuff that comes out of my mouth is, is as nutty as it gets. But so that would, that to me was a really telling experience that like, Oh my God, there is this golf. And I, and obviously there was, I recognized the golf was there, but I was capable of, you know, just drinking from, and I think all these aspects are important. I think that the weird conspiracy stuff is there's, there's, there's reasons that I think there's, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. And I, and I think that we, it's really easy to get, drag down blind alleys and such but um but yes well, with, for me I'm that was a powerful Mike. experience yeah could, could i quickly just say um as well there uh on i should clarify and i've done this in a couple of interviews i should clarify i mean the, the book that we've that we've put out here as i say it's a it's a, it's a clash of, of pro and anti-materialist approaches some people sort of even question whether there is a phenomenon at all and we should take it right back down to basics and examine if there's anything to study 
whatsoever whereas other people sort of take it at face value because of their own experiences that there is indeed an anomalous phenomenon and try to approach it from new angles um so so, so there's all sorts of different perspectives represented as for me um as editor, I've tried to to challenge myself and, and make myself uncomfortable by presenting these different perspectives. Um, but in, for, for what it's worth, in terms of my own opinion, I I don't I am probably more sympathetic to the extraterrestrial hypothesis than probably most or even all of the contributors to the book. Um, I don't stamp that. Uh, as an opinion in the book because it's 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 about the contributors really and and but i i am far less sympathetic sympathetic to the simplistic eth than i was say four or five years ago but at the same time i still think that it does have uh logic to it on it does have a a good amount of surface logic to it the extraterrestrial hypothesis given what we know about the the size of the universe scale at which we're discovering habitable exosolar planets um Extrasolar planets, excuse me, and so uh, so yeah, it still it still is an attractive hypothesis that should not be rejected. But what we're saying is that it, again, if you go back to the basics of the grassroots reports, what we're dealing with seems to be more complex and, and multifaceted, uh, and more ethereal even, um, and more related to something within us as individuals or as a species than it does to something external necessarily, not to not to rule out the extraterrestrial hypothesis. We could be dealing with um, uh, multiple uh, converging coalescing phenomena, which may include some form of extraterrestrial intelligence, but may not. Um, but the, the, you know the, the the idea is is that all ideas should be considered and we should never reach a solid conclusion at least not at this early stage because it is an early stage the modern ufo phenomenon as we understand it today if we take it from 1947 is only you know six seven about seven decades old um and so that's that's very young and we are as a species incredibly young anyway and so I, we we barely understand our own brains so I think that's where we should begin, really, not, but, not but necessarily when, looking elsewhere. When Darwinism was seven decades old, uh, we understood dinosaurs. When ufology was seven decades old, we got the, the Roswell slides. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, you know, so, so, and of course we examine the Roswell slides or we, we, we examine how the Roswell slides, the infamous Roswell slides, were, we de- were effectively debunked. Um, by a courageous. I want to get to that too in a little bit. I have a couple questions about it. Well, I, I was um, wondering. So we have the the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and but what about the other explanations? The other hypotheses. You know, are we talking fairies, tricksters, jinn, ultra-terrestrials, dimensional visitors, uh, human time travelers from the future, breakaway civilizations? What are we talking here? <laughs> Wait, what's an ultra-terrestrial? Is that like an extraterrestrial that runs an extra twenty-six <laughs> miles? Hey, uh, thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> but well, all all of these hypotheses, you know, have been considered, and and all of them, I say, I would say, probably to an extent, are touched upon, albeit fleetingly, in in the book. Um, we don't dwell on the ETH. We we talk about the ETH, if only to sort of put it to one side. We know, no one really rejects the ETH in the book, but it is certainly put to one side in order to to explore new avenues. Those new avenues in the book don't necessarily extend to sort of time travel or ultra terrestrials or interdimensionals. Although again, some of those things are briefly touched upon. I think a lot of the focus is less is more about. Um, turning the attention from the external to the internal, trying to understand the very complex processes of human cognition and consciousness. Um, because the more we understand about these things, the more we understand about the world around us and how we actually, to a large extent or to a significant, to a significant extent, shape the world around us through our own 
perceptions or through our own perceptual apparatus. And so, so we turn the attention on ourselves um, as, as, uh, as complex machines, I guess, in one sense. Um, that's, that's one approach that some of the people adopt. Some people, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the essays is, is sort of rejecting um, materialism altogether and sort of saying that we need to sort of adopt an almost magical approach to the phenomenon um, uh, and then you'll have the es- an essay that follows that directly sort of completely rejecting those those ideas and saying we need to take it down to a much more nuts and bolts basic um, level and even ask what we know if we know anything at all about what we're dealing with and if there is anything to deal with full stop um, and so some of the essays are very pragmatic practical um, where some of them are very uh, theoretical and sort of uh, up in the air in terms of, you know, I mean, would you agree with that, Mike? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh which Mike? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess. We I all agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're the whole, the whole group's in agreement. Uh, you know, we're, but we're talking about the, some of the different the hypotheses here and connecting uh, the you know extraterrestrial to uh, more things like you know Allison was saying uh, you know fairies and uh, tricksters and obviously gin uh, is, is BS. <laughs> hey, but Mike, uh, that's just that's me. Just because you can't wrap your head around it yet. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I'm just fooling around. I was just introduced to the gin as an idea that smart people think might be real. Right, last so you're year. still working on uh, it. So I'm still, tr- I'm, I'm still trying to, to get my head around it. But um, you know, you think about uh, poltergeist activity being related to UFOs, or uh, I mean, I, I love in, in Josh Cutchen. You know, when, when he was talking about sulfur and that sulfur associated with Bigfoot and UFOs and poltergeist experiences and ghost experiences, um, the idea of it as a chemical tr- and this connected a couple of things. Like in the notes, Allison, one thing you put in, I, I found a, a quote about you know insects in reframing right. the, the debate and you're like reminds you of qu- you yeah. know quarter mass in the pit five five million five million <laughs> years to earth one of you that's know, a, my, my that's favorites a deep, our favorites deep as a cut. kid <laughs> and that's that's an ancient alien movie those are that's that's like yeah. ancient aliens coming t- to earth and then there's they're being reinterpreted as the devil. I mean, that's the devil coming right. up in the middle. I don't want to give it away. It's my, one of my favorite movies of all time. But yeah, the <laughs> devil too, yeah. wells up out of the streets yeah, of London so there on, on Hobbs Absolutely. Lane. Yeah. But an in- insectoid kind of vision of the devil. Yes, you know. But the idea, that was one of the first things that kind of kind of connects this. The extraterrestrial to our uh, genetic memory and uh, our idea of supernatural, like, demons and the devil and everything connect to these things and it it it's one of those things that brings it all together and then i was just <laughs> I, I kept on thinking about the aliens using using the trigger to knock yeah. us out you know and then do whatever they're gonna do and then we remember it as bigfoot or we remember it as ufos or we remember it as fairies or the devil an or, owl. Like, or or an owl or right there, the owls are not what they seem. The owl is a mythic animal. It's a symbolic animal that goes right back to cave paintings of owls. You know, the owls are show up in every mythology all over the world. There, and then you know, and so so there's a there's a mythic lore to the owl. You, you know, it's there, it's there, and the owl, yeah, the owl as a as a. You know, so the, so people are seeing owls, right? They say, "Oh, driving driving home from you know, it was late at night, and I was then I saw this creepy owl on the road, and it was three foot tall, and it was really weird." And then I got home, and I was two hours late. Something happened. So that happens a lot. I get that story a lot. You know, there's no such thing as the three foot tall owl, but that's what people are reporting. And then they, but why are they seeing an owl? I mean, so the owl is the is in mythologies. 
all the world's mythologies, one thread is that the owl is a messenger and they are capable of traveling to other dimensions. Owls fly in the darkness. That becomes a metaphor for traveling to other realms. And then they, they would then return. So we have this mythic animal showing up in the, in the, in the UFO lore for reasons I can only dance around. I can only speculate about I don't have answers to why. So I just, I struggle with all these things, you know, on these outlying things. Anyway, I didn't mean to hijack the thing with owls. No, no, that that's, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly, I mean, that's the owls. There are almost like Douglas Adams dolphins. <laughs> You know, uh, you know they can travel. They're smarter. They do things that we don't know about, that we have no idea about. Um, so I, I, I love those that that owls and, idea, and that it's um, it's some kind of archetype to, that's um, that's uh, kind of hardwired in us, perhaps that's triggered by certain experiences. Yeah, it, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of yeah. So so it's it's tapping into something on a on a deeper level than right. just a bird with big eyes. So and yeah. And I'm and my what's more important to me and more fascinating to me is the people who are seeing real owls, the tell of seeing real owls. And it's hard, you know, to like, you know, what do you people tell these stories? I'm like, oh my god, you know, some of them are like, Oh, that was a real owl. And so I'm like, Oh, that's a screen memory, but there's this blurry stuff in the middle. I can't, you know, no one will ever solve, you know, what it might or might be in these individual cases. Well, and that's a uh, you know, so for you guys for you guys playing at home, you know one of the first places that I saw the idea of an owl as a uh, a metaphor for an a UFO or a non-terrestrial experience uh, was in we always come back to this on the show for some reason Whitley Strieber's Communion absolutely yeah yeah and uh, you know that I also had my first like uh, hypnagogic trance a week after. <laughs> So it was that book always has like a certain trauma for me because uh, I, you know, I thought I wasn't, a, you know, it was I it was just exactly as he described in the book. When you have that trance, you wake up and you see a bunch of like shapes surrounding you, you know, and, and you think it's and you feel weird and you're paralyzed and everything. And I had my first episode of sleep paralysis like I convinced myself and I made it happen like a week after finishing that book. So, uh, yeah, I think I have to talk to my therapist about it. But. Owls as interdimensional travelers, and that's what I mean. A lot of we'll have links to uh, to your website and your book uh, in the show notes for this episode, Mike. But um, you really get into depth on that in the messengers, right? Oh my god, I, I feel like I've exhausted it, except the fact that I'm writing a second book on it. <laughs> There's so I guess still a little bit more in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still got to squeeze. I got to squeeze all the lemon juice out of the lemon, you know. So I'm like, "There's, I'm going to get that last drop out of there, no matter what." So, well. You know, and a couple more questions for you guys. And I'm, number one, thank you for taking your, your Sunday afternoon with us, Mike, and um, Robbie, your Sunday evening uh, over there. We appreciate it. But one of my favorite essays, actually, in, in the book, has to do with the Roswell slides and the debunking of the Roswell slides. And, and one of the reasons I enjoyed that so much is not that it even is about um, you know, a UFO experience or anything like that. It really is just about a team of people working together to uncover the truth as quickly and fast as they can in a way that would not be possible at all 20 years ago. Yeah, um, I'm really, I'm really glad you enjoyed that because I, I think it's, it, again, it's, it's a, it's a standout piece in the book in that it's not exploring any weird ufological theories or, or so even not even addressing the nature of the phenomenon itself. Um, what it's doing is it's taking a case study which uh is the so-called roswell slides debacle which um happened in uh, two i think it began in 2014 finished in 2015 which is when it was exposed um and what you had was a group of quite well-known very well-known um, ufo personalities who for a number of years had been 
uh, sort of murmuring about these uh, potentially earth-shattering uh, slides, Kodachrome slides, which have been unearthed um, uh, in someone's attic. And they purported to show images of a, of a deceased alien entity, which the promoters of the slides uh, had linked very tenuously to, to the Roswell incident of 1947. And they, they viewed these slides as the smoking gun at last for, for Roswell as, a, as an alien event. And so uh, attention started to to focus in on, on this and, and it became a big thing in the UFO subculture and eventually it, it, it built into a, a major uh, event, kind of a conference event. Uh, a pay-per-view <laughs> event, like WrestleMania. Yeah, it was very, very much so, yeah. Very much so, like a pay-per-view event. Uh, people could stream it live and they could attend with like thousands of attendees in Mexico. It was like it's held in Mexico. And uh, a bunch of people, like I think several thousand people watched it uh, live. And, you know, money was spent, money was made. And it, but whilst all of this was happening, whilst all of this feverish uh, speculation and claims were being thrown thrown about online, um, you had a very small group of dedicated, essentially silent investigators, skeptical investigators, who were operating largely through social media, through a, through a closed group on social media, on Facebook. Um, and they were working across several countries and time zones. Um, and they were all working towards a common goal, which was to, to try and show what these slides were not. Um, it, it was very obvious to... To, to rational people who were not bound up in the Roswell belief system that uh, the image seemed to resemble not necessarily an alien but much more closely a mummified body of a, of a, of a child or, or a small person and uh, so the logical you know first step would be to try and show that this was perhaps just that you know you know is it more likely to be the image of an alien or is it more likely to be the image of a of a, of a mummified child well obviously you know right comes razor you got to go with the mummified child we don't know that for sure but let's explore that option and that's what they did um and very rapidly they showed definitively that that's precisely what it was and the whole case rested on the fact that um what 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 was publicly viewable of this of the slides was 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 one particular image of what did look you know like kind of alien alien in the loosest sense of the term uh, right. body sort of laying down and, and there was a, there was a placard placed next to this body which was placed on sort of like a glass shelf and and you know if you were to look at it objectively you would think well maybe it looks like it's in a museum setting and the placard is something that you know has been placed there in a museum not necessarily in some kind of a deep underground military facility you wouldn't have it on display who would you know? right who put who designs the placard? Like they have to send out for that. Like if it says like alien, like alien baby on it or something like that, somebody at that placard company had to put that together, and they got to be like, "Well, guys, we should look into this." Yeah, I think well, they obviously have to assassinate the people right. in the placard company. There, you know, so right. You're leaving a trail of dead bodies That's everywhere. Not suspicious. And and so. So, so yeah, so, 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 the, so the team, the Roswell, research, the Roswell Slides Research Group, they decided to try and decipher the, what was on the placard, which is very blurry because the image that was presented to the public was blurred because it was from a freeze frame of, of the documentary, which is tied into this project, which is being promoted. So they got this blurry image and they, they applied a de-blur process to the placard um, through 
commercial publicly available um, software um, called Smart Debler. And they, it wasn't easy to do, but they, you know, they did it relatively quickly and they, and they checked themselves and put them through kind of checks and balances kind of things. And they eventually showed definitively what the slide said, what the, what the, uh, what the placard said. And the placard, sure enough, said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, mummified body of a two-year-old boy. In fact, that's exactly what it said, mummified body of a two-year-old boy. Yeah, it's right there. And so with that, that, that was it. You, you know, <laughs> the placard said it all. Um, and so, but what was so startling and depressing about all of this is that the promoters of the slides and the people who had brought them to public attention in the first place, the, the UFO researchers, um, they had been looking at this for several years and none of them during this time had thought to try and figure out what the, you know, what, what the placard said or to try to place the, the body as something other than an alien. In their defense, a full version of Photoshop is like 700 bucks. <laughs> it's outrageous. It's not even Photoshop. And, and uh, so, so, you know, they thought, well, it looks vaguely like an alien. Therefore, uh, it must be an alien. Right, and so they drew all of them, made all of these assumptions, jumped jump to conclusions very quickly because they because they were so embedded in their belief system, which had come to define their identity. And this is what this is what's crucial for me. I say that this, you know, the the reader can draw their own conclusions as to what motivated the slides promoters, and some people will indeed accuse them of of, of perpetrating an outright cynical hoax, and perhaps some of the people involved you know, were guilty of that. But I think for some of the people who are involved with it, the core promoters of it, the core people who brought it to, the, to public attention in the first place, um, for me, I, I think that it's more a case of blind belief than, than conscious deception. Because I understand that believer mindset because I've been in it before. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and especially when you've, when you've defined your whole ufological career uh, through, through one particular case, you know, Roswell in this example, then you... You're on a search for the Holy Grail all the time, and when you think you've found it, it becomes to you know intoxicating. And they didn't stop for even a moment to think of anything, any other explanations. And they thought that looks like an alien. It's got to be the it's got to be you know the Roswell body, um, and we're just gonna we're just gonna run with it. And that's what they did, and they they never stopped. And so while they were busy doing that, again, you had a small group of rational sound-minded people who sat down and said well let's look at the most logical explanation and see if we can prove it and indeed they did and they did it within a matter of days so you know, years of of uh, people being misled consciously or not was was kind of undone by a few days work of, of uh when it was a few, it was more than a few days they were working on it for months but they, they actually de-blurred the thing within a few days and then, and then announced it um so you know so that for me was that was the triumph of the skeptics and it shows that 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 um that skepticism is essential to you know to, to this field and people you know people within the ufo community they get really down on, on the skeptical approach and they say mm -hmm. oh, skeptics the bad guys and stuff like that <laughs> but um here you you know you know obviously, obviously that's just simply not the case uh skepticism is essential and uh and you should well, have most logical rational explanation for, for anything and to go with that a little bit and the reason i kind of wanted to bring that up number one is to show because Really, I mean, all of us have felt that on, on one side, you've been like, man, skeptics, I hate those guys. You know, well, Allison, you felt that? What I felt is is not that I, I dislike skepticism, but, you know, you know, I think we need to we need to delineate here that, you know, skepticism, I think all of us, you know, on the show today 
you know, would be, yay, skepticism. We, we agree with skepticism. But we have to draw a line because, um, you know, what we're seeing today is is really, you know, kind of dogmatic cynicism. And, and also um, it's aligned with atheism, which, you know, is not, you know, to me, atheism, I mean, that's a religion. I mean, that's not a scientific belief. Uh, you know, we don't know what's beyond. So, you know, for you to say definitively that there is nothing, um, to me, you know, uh, just um, kind of takes everything you, you said you were uh, for and calls it into question. So, I, you know, I think we're all um, into skepticism. What we're not into is, you know, uh, this kind of crushing limitation of materialism uh, because, you know, I think we've all seen that there's a little bit more to the world than that, um, you know, and even, uh, you know, the limitations of, of human perception show that. The goal of the book is to shift and reframe the debate outside the prison of belief, yet also beyond the razor wire of scientific dogmatism. And that's that's a, a line that several other contributors sort of seek to tread um, in this piece. And you, you've got um, Micah Hanks, for example, saying... Um, uh, modern skepticism can, I think, be summarized in many instances as an ideology around which a social movement has been built, one that today also runs tangent with atheism and as a paradoxically evangelical attitude about the supremacy of science above all other forms of knowledge. So it's sort of trying to tread that middle ground. And MJ Benias also says something similar in his essay. He says, um, many of my colleagues in ufological circles would argue that it is essential for UFO discourse to move away from the theological and towards the scientific method. He says, I would agree with them. However, the razor cuts both ways, and the ideological mechanisms of the sciences can be as dogmatic as the religious tenets of UFO believers. Well, and, and I think that's that's exactly right. And the people, those are the kind of people we're talking about who are just who who shut off to it. You know, they're already shut off to it. They're like, well, sure, there might be, you know, there's probably aliens out there, but they're not here. And you know, um, those are the kind of things. It's you know, that's the they're converted in in their own kind of way. And I think that's what everybody uh, is a little like. We don't want to be like that, and that's why this book is valuable. Because if you're converted one way, it's going to force you to think another way, and then the next chapter you're going to think another way, and then the next essay you're going to be like, oh, like um, I can't decide brain aneurysm, <laughs> and so that's kind of where you're going to go with it. But uh, also, I was thinking about uh, the importance of first of all, we we are culpable on this show a little bit of the Roswell slides. We know Don Schmidt. Um, you know, we've, he's from Wisconsin. He lives in Wisconsin. Um, I've seen mm -hmm. him socially yeah, in situations well. and I've interviewed Don several times. Uh, but then when the Roswell slides, when I saw this and I saw he was gonna be associated with it, I, you know, got in touch with him immediately. I'm like, Don, we have to have you on the show and we have to ask you about it. And, you know, we talked about it after when the debunking happened too, but we had a whole episode called the smoking gun, you know, and be like, Don, what can we see, uh, on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, you will see the slides of the Roswell and, and the whole thing. Like ended up just being a yeah. cluster. Like it, it just was so, so ridiculous. And you see the slides and, you know, Robbie, I really think that your view of their motivations is, um, it's very sunny. 
You know, you're like, well, I think they just were, they just wanted to believe so bad. I, I think it's a little more mercenary than that, but not necessarily in a bad level. I think though, and I like Don Schmidt too, I'm, you know, Milwaukee Paranormal Conference, we hung out, he's a really nice guy. And some of his research on Roswell, that stuff, his original research on Roswell is really important because he got the interviews before everybody died. And I really admire that, um, that he got at least the people to interview that said they saw the craft and the materials and everything. But I think their their motivation might have been, let's try to make some money so we can go back to Roswell to dig. Like, I, the importance of skepticism um, is such that they debunked those slides in like, if what it felt like 10 minutes. Like, it felt like <laughs> 10 minutes after the Roswell slides came out, everybody's like, well, there's the placard. Good night, everybody. Just brutal. Um, <laughs> and, and we, we <laughs> like saw it, was, it coming. It like I mean, that. you know, I just saw it coming like weeks and weeks and weeks before it happened and <laughs> there was a point like a years oh, yeah. ahead of it i remember like we've yeah. uncovered these slides and this is in but we have to keep them secret and as soon flag. as i read that i'm like oh this is this is gonna tank <laughs> this is gonna be a setup this is gonna mm-hmm. spiral the drain and yeah this but is like, like science this has to be repeatable like you have to be able to withstand scrutiny if you want to change people's minds and that's that's what i think that guys like don want to do like they have so much witness testimony they've written books before he went off and um you know did something like this that was you know that feel, feels like a hoax to the rest of us um before that, it feels like, well, we have all this testimony. We did all this research. We have we found this stuff, and still everybody thinks we're cranks. So we might as well go with the cranks to make some cash to, and so we can fund the research that we need to eventually find an actual smoking gun that will convince the world that something happened. So I think it's a little bit like I think they still believe, but I think they knew that this was crap. And they're just like, well, we can focus the attention on it. We can do something positive with this money eventually because once we get the evidence we need, we're going to have the last laugh. And that's my particular take on the motivation. Well, you may be, you know, you may be right. Like, um, and if, if that is the case, then boy, they did not think that through. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just made it look I mean, dumb. It was just painful to watch. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, just and having us talk about this, I mean, you if you if you watch what happened, I mean, you can really learn a lot from it. Uh, you you know, there's there's so much in there about you know wanting to believe and um, you know possibly financial interest. You know, so so there's a lot of teaching. There there are a lot of teachings in what happened, even though it's real. It was really really hard to go through. Yeah, and I think what what's so good about it is Kurt Collins, who wrote the essay, the slides essay in the book, um, it's called What's Wrong With This Picture. He could have been absolutely brutal and scathing in that essay, and he's not at all. He, he is incredibly... Um, calm and balanced and uh you know he doesn't go after anyone personally personally or anything like that he just he he just methodically documents exactly how they went about their own investigation and how they eventually um debunk the debunk the the uh, the slides and it has huge value i think um because it is the definitive accounting of how they went about doing that and that really you know the, the slides debacle i i think is one of the most uh high-profile um, and damaging uh, ufological blunders of, of uh, the 21st century, certainly, and, and probably of the last sort of 20 years or more. And uh, and it's almost been like, you know, the UFO community kind of has 
amnesia now. They, they kind of collectively have wiped that from the consciousness because they were so invested in it being true. And when it was so brutally debunked, as you say, so quickly, it's just like, oh, let's forget about that. Our egos are bruised. Not just the people who promoted it, but the people who believed it and who bought into it and who, who you know, who, and so and so they, they then it's like, well, we do we don't want to acknowledge that. Let's just move on to the next thing now. Let's just you know, let's 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 focus on Tom DeLong now. Let's just focus on Tom DeLong. Let's forget about the Russell right. slides, right? The next thing that offers the truth is Tom DeLong, and I we could do a whole show on Tom DeLong. I, I, I've got a lot to write to say about Tom DeLong, and, but, and we will, we 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 will eventually, really. And when the truth happens, when the when if this clo- and now this is why I kind of want to get to the last question and talk about disclosure a second. But when disclosure finally happens, you think they're going to set it up like a monster <laughs> truck rally? You think you know? You think Sunday, it's going to be Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? We'll give you the whole ship, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> you know that kind of. It's just so silly that um, it just right. I was like, this is not going to blow my mind because it's not going to be set up where they have uh you know disclosure t-shirts you know it's not going to be like get y'all 15 bucks man it comes in sm- like we got spaghetti straps for chicks okay well i said i wasn't going to talk about tom DeLong, but you, you just you just right so you just said oh disclosure won't come with t-shirts well tell that to tom DeLong, who's selling disclosure t-shirts okay so he's literally he's he has literally set up an actual store, an actual physical store that you can go into and buy, and it's all devoted to his, um, to the stars production company and clothing line and you can sell like skateboards and t-shirts all hooked into his, his alien disclosure book, Secret Machines. You can buy Secret Machines baseball caps and apparel and key rings. I'm not making this up, right? So he's, he's marketing disclosure. He's saying that his books are the forerunner to, to this government announcement, which is going to come relatively soon, um, and that they're feeding all of this information to him. And, and, and in the meantime, he's set up a whole whole business around, literally a business around. He's not even being, you know, he's, being, he's not even being kind of, uh, you know, he, he has no problem with marketing it and, and, and commercializing it. And he's sort of saying, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm a businessman, and I'm just going to make as much money as I can off this concept of disclosure. So actually, it is... A commercial product, um, but this hasn't this this hasn't kind of um, it doesn't seem to be worrying people who are, who are supporting what Tom DeLonge is saying. You know, because the point is, is, if there is some kind of massive government announcement coming that's going to shatter shatter the global system, well, you know, Tom it doesn't seem to bother Tom DeLonge. I mean, is, isn't his T-shirt business going to go down the tubes when disclosure happens? Like, are people really going to be going? Ah, oh, you know what I'm going to be doing now? Now the economy's gone down the tubes, and and now you know we've got free energy and, and there's aliens walking around the streets. I think I'm going to go and go online and buy one of Tom DeLonge's T-shirts. I mean, you don't do that if you, you don't set up a business like that if, if you actually think that, that anything is going to change in the world. You know, right? I, I feel like he's playing like a huge alternate reality game based on his personal brand of being a. Well, yeah, he is, and well, yeah, he is, and and you know, don't again, you know, when I mock Tom DeLong here, I I don't know Tom DeLong. I have nothing against him personally. He seems like a really nice guy, and I'd like to talk to him at some point, maybe. But you know, my my issue here is that um, he's leading people astray, and I I don't doubt for a second that he's in contact with high with people in positions of of, of authority in the military industrial complex. We know that he is through through. Um, the John Podesta email, right, and, and through others, we know we know that he's he, he has got these contacts, um, but but what's less widely known is is that you know this information that they're feeding him is totally in line with all of the previous disinformation that's been fed to uh, other disinformants over the past three or four decades, and his 
the, the narrative that he's spinning it's just an extension of what's come before. It's no different. It's 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 touching on all of the core themes, which absolve the powers that be of 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 complicity in a in a in a in an evil cover up, or at least it it it, it excuses the cover up. It justifies it, saying that it's in our, in our best interests that there's hostile alien mm-hmm. entities or life forms um, that the military industrial complex has been doing. It's 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 you know it's it's um, it's it's very best to to act in our interests and it's had to do so covertly. Um, in it, it so so it it kind of portrays a very positive image actually of the national security state. Um, it's a very self serving image and it and it's you know so so the the point is is that if you have so deeply distrusted not you Mike but the, the UFO community have deeply distrusted. Um, the powers that be for so long, and that and that deep distrust is something that does characterise popular ufology. If you dis- so deeply distrust the powers that be on the UFO subject, then why would you suddenly believe? Why would you believe what they tell a rock star? You know, why would you believe what they tell anyone? Why would they believe? Why would you believe what they tell you directly? The point is, is that they if if they are characterised by uh, by you know um, by deception, uh, which has been proven over the years then then why why do you have to why do you believe what they what they are telling you well the, the reason you believe is because you because because you know that you don't have any answers and nor will you probably have any answers within your lifetime as to what this enigma represents but you want so desperately for someone in a position of power to have those answers whether you trust them or not you're going to make that decision to trust them in the event that they give it to you even though it goes up against and- all of your best judgment. You're going to trust them because you just desperately want it to be true, no matter what they tell you. The point is, is that the powers that be do not have the answers. They cannot possibly have the answers. They might have their own answers, and they might have, you know, maybe they have got alien bodies. But if they have, so what? That's not going to tell them. That's not going to, you know, reveal the ultimate truth of what we're dealing with. It's so much more complicated than that. And we're just a bunch of monkeys. We don't understand what we're dealing with. And so I don't care how much money you throw at this, at this. Uh, this problem behind the scenes billions trillions of dollars over decades you're still only going to be able to scratch the surface of what you're dealing with so what can they possibly disclose you know other than ignorance really um and so so that's why you should never really believe anything that comes from any any you know um anyone in a position of power on this subject because all they've ever done is 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 lie and conceal and deceive and, and so and, and so and that makes sense of course they're going to do that i would do that in their position <laughs> anyone would right in, uh, so so but the point is is you don't just don't throw yourself at their feet and say oh I, oh thank you savior i accept what you're telling me i accept that you know you just you're not going to find the answers they're not to, to to this problem from from uh from the powers that be i'm sorry you're just not and, and why we would ever believe a guy that thought that what's my age again could be a worthwhile single, <laughs> like blows my, I mean, the first album was pretty good, but I think success just killed him. Anyway, that's just me. That's a completely different issue. Allison? Well, I just wanted to say that, you know, what's really compelling to me is that there is this deception because it, it's going on on a grand scale. And, you know, it has been for decades and to me, this really shows that there ultimately is something to the phenomena. And that's what we, I think, that is enough disclosure uh, in a way. You know, if you are paying attention, you realize that there is something going on. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what's your opinion on disclosure? I could care less about disclosure. <laughs> I, I don't have anything to prove. I don't care. Um, I mean, my, you know, no one has to disclose anything to me. You know, like I say something that effect in the essay, like, well, like, 
you know, I've seen them. I feel like my life has been impacted by this weirdness and in a way that's, you know, I don't like who's going to, what are they going to, I mean, they'll do that. Like, like I get up in the morning and I try to catalog people's experiences in a way that's engaging and, and that people can, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm listening to real people tell their accounts and tell their stories. And the stories are, I mean, you know, people cry on the phone. I've had people cry in real life and I've cried, you know, and it's just like, it's these, there's something going on. I don't need someone to tell me that. And, and it's, and I would say it's a genuine mystery and how, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. So who, I like, that's, I, I remember Robbie and I, we were driving in the, uh, uh, and he was driving me and I was on the wrong side of the road when we were in England and I was like <laughs> trying to put my oh, foot God. on the brake every time we'd go around the left turn and stuff like that and there was no brake on my side of the car which you're... so anyway but I was we you're were gonna kill me, mate. thing and stuff. it's like it's like I I don't need anyone in authority to tell me what I already know right I mean that's like that's you know what what I don't care that. So when I was, I worked and did a lot of outdoor stuff and I, this is a little, this is a, and, and I would work with kids and we'd go in the mountains and I would go camping with them and we'd spend a month in the mountains and, you know, you check in kids, they're young adults, they would be college age or, you know, so they would, and they'd have a little talk with them and you'd say, check in, so how's everything going? This is a challenging trip. And then what's going on? And it's like, you know, what's going on in my life? So my parents don't understand me and I just need to, I just need them to change. They don't, I just need my parents to change, you know, so they understand me. And I'm like, listen, like I'm a little older than you. Your parents are never going to change. You are not going to change your parents. The only thing you can do is be a better you. The only thing you can do is be a better self. And that's kind of like, I just feel like there's these people kind of like, like only if they only did what I want them to do, if they only, if the government only did what I want them to do, then everything would be fine. I'm like, listen, I like, like, this is like the Politburo. It's like, you know, like, it's like they're lying, you know, like nobody cares. Right. They never do what you want them to do. The only thing you can do in this arena is be your best self and, and work to the highest ethical and, and highest level you can work at at the, do the best work you can do. And, and that is and you. Maybe you're going to put ripples in the pond and maybe those ripples will make a difference, but you are waiting for someone else, begging someone else to do it for you. It ain't going to work. And, uh, that is that is a complete agreement uh, that I have with you on that, Mike. Um, I got all fired up. <laughs> yeah, no, please do get fired up. You know, and I think about this. You know, I think about disclosure, and I think about people talking about it. I'm like, first of all, why would the government do it unless they had a specific agenda? And then you can't trust what they have to say anyway, because obviously they have an agenda. You know, <clears throat> so it's just like, why why would you think that? Okay, no. And also, Donald Donald Trump is president. The guy from The Apprentice, the guy speaking of WrestleMania, he was in WrestleMania four. The guy from Home Alone two <laughs> is the president of the United States. And whatever whatever side you sit in the political spectrum, or whatever you think, do you not think that Donald Trump wouldn't be like, I get to be the one who tells the world about aliens? You're damn right, I'm gonna do that. He'd be like aliens, or however he'd say that. Dryna, you know, when he says China, you know, he'd be like aliens, they're here baby or whatever he'd say i i i grabbed him by the tentacle but the whole thing <laughs> 
but the, I mean, don't you think Donald Trump would have already disclosed that? Like the first day, he's like, "Lies, guys, they show they show me the bodies. It's awesome." Like I just don't think he'd be able. to Well, I think I think to be fair to the disclosurists, I think there's, that that if if there is such information being held behind the scenes, then it would be highly compartmentalized, strictly on a need to know basis, and Donald Trump would certainly not have a need to know. You would not trust Donald Trump with anything like that. So I think if, if they Nor do have this information, we. there's no way in hell that they would trust him with it but precisely because they know that within sec within minutes of telling him it'd be tweeted yeah. so so they would so you know but he'd have a picture with the, with the alien body with the make america great again hat on <laughs> all right guys i want to thank you very much for joining us the book is ufos reframing the debate it's edited by robbie graham and uh there's a great essay written by mike cleland in there too you guys are really going to enjoy it where can we find the book it's available on uh, Amazon. It's available through Barnes and Noble, uh, iBookstore, uh, pretty much any good online bookstore. Uh, you can, so, and you can also find kind of a lot more information about it on my website, which is robbygraham.uk. So, uh, you guys gonna uh, check it out now, Mike? Where can people find or read your blog articles and learn more about you and your writing? Um, I have a website. It's a blog. It's called Hidden Experience. You just type in Hidden Experience, all one word. dot blogspot. dot com. If you Google my name, or if you actually, you know what? If you Google UFOs, owls, I'm the first thing that comes up. So, um, uh, yeah. So it's, I'm pretty easy to find, and the book is available through Amazon and on my website. And you can go to your local bookstore and just ask, and they'll they can type it into their thing and just order it for you. And so hopefully support some little Main Street bookstore before it goes under. Yeah. You can you can read it in Meat Space. And Allison, where can people find your weirdo face? <laughs> MilwaukeeGhost.com. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us today, guys. <laughs> Everybody, make sure you can find the show notes, othersidepodcast.com uh, slash 148, and you can have all the links there to Robbie's site, Mike's site, and Allison's site. So now we know what Robbie thinks about Tom DeLong from Blink-182. <laughs> Indeed. You know, and, and the thing is, I, I thought that Tom DeLong from Blink-182, I really, I was kind of excited when I heard he was into this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, number one, I was kind of jealous because like um, he got famous off writing four chord songs and then he was just like, okay, now I'm going to look at UFOs and I'm doing this thing. I'm like, wow, this guy has an awesome career. He's totally interesting. <laughs> right. But then like there's so many weird claims associated with the book, his secret machines book. The, you know, the idea that, well, this is fiction, but I have a nonfiction coming out and I've got sources in the government that are telling me things. I get skeptical about it. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, okay, Tom. Like, let's go back and you know, understand <laughs> that that first album is Dude Red is a really good album, and you got me there. Like, you know, 1998, I'd listen to Blink-182 all the time. But just the idea that the people in the government would be like, you know who we should tell our secrets to? The dude from Blink-182. Um, right? And now, Wendy, you seen Blink-182 live, right? Once, yes. Okay, you saw, and I, I haven't seen them live, so I can't say. So when you saw, I think you're, and you, this is a while ago. This is in their heyday. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was 17 years ago right, that so, I saw them. So this is when they, <laughs> oh, man. they were hot with two T's, yes. hot with two T's. Yes. And weren't you like, it's just all poop jokes. Or is <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, it kind of reminded me of Beavis and Butthead on stage, but not as funny and uh, punctuated by songs. But it was like, there was just a lot of talking and it was not entertaining talking to me. Sure. But then again, the crowd was, uh, there were a lot of like teeny boppers in the crowd. 
Sure. So maybe they found that endearing or something. I don't know. I I just wanted to hear the music personally. So don't get me wrong. I like a little stage banter, but it was just a bit much for me. But the thing is, I think of that story. Even that story is old. I think about you. (laughs) I think about you talking about it every time. I think I see Tom DeLonge in like a a video or talking serious or being like, I'm really (laughs) going to find out. I'm going to get to the bottom of this UFO phenomenon and saying that he's going to do it. I think about you telling that story. And so so then I think about a government official. I think about somebody from Area 51 in like 2000 taking his 14-year-old daughter to a Blink-182 concert. I think about this Area 51 officials like, okay, oh yeah, I gotta go see this band. And then he sees them and they're just making all, you know, genitalia jokes, juvenile humor, things like that. And not, and hey, I've made plenty of myself. I'm not saying it. I'm not, uh, you know, just gonna say it. But this guy seeing them and then going, you know what? This is the guy I'm gonna tell my, my secrets to. I'm gonna, right. we, I need to find this guy and I need to tell him that aliens do exist. Oh, and so I, yeah. so you have kind of ruined Tom DeLonge as a disclosure agent I'm for so me. I'm so sorry, Mike. I, I did not intend for that to <laughs> you, happen. You spoiled it. My experience was so far ahead of his whole paranormal, you know, right. UFO involvement. So. Yeah, you could, you weren't going to, like nobody was going <laughs> to no. predict that. Okay. Now, so I love the, and I love the fact that Robbie's willing to go off on it. Because um, mm-hmm. I agree with him, even though I kind of enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the fact that he's playing with perceptions. I enjoy the fact that we have somebody who's a, a good media manipulator. Um, oh, not a spoiler, what's, but there's a good media who's getting mainstream media attention for it. Tom DeLonge yeah. gets mentioned in the John Podesta emails, and all of a sudden, more people are talking about UFOs. Right. And it is bringing out the skeptics. And that's a, I think that's a great thing because I think that this kind of stuff, the, the UFO phenomena particularly, needs to stand up to criticism. It needs to stand up um, to skeptics. And I think the fact that you know, we talk about the Roswell slides extensively in the interview and you guys remember the Roswell slides. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, had, I mean, we had Don Schmidt on the show. It's the smoking gun. We're all excited. Um, that something's really going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it's just, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's ridiculous crap. And so there's just a profound disappointment. And the thing is, if it's not that this research cannot be taken seriously the way it is, but if it wants to be in the same league as, well, regular sciences, I mean, it, or think about the things that Dr. Nancy Zingroni is doing at the Parapsychological Association, where they need to repeat ability of experiments. Uh, if we're talking about this as a psychological phenomenon that you're trying to study and, and find connections between different experiencers and, and UFO things that happen, you need to have some kind of uh, critical rigor that goes into it. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Otherwise, we're just going to get more Roswell slides every time. It's going <laughs> to be a money grab. And that's it. So, yep. so if we do, uh, well, if we want less Tom DeLonge's and more Dr. J. Allen Hynex, we're just going to have to all be a little bit more serious and may- maybe even take some of the entertainment value out of it. And that obviously breaks my heart. <laughs> because the sensational stories are the ones that usually are the most exciting. Yeah, the most fun. Yeah, because when somebody tells you a believable UFO story, like, oh my God, I looked outside and I saw these two <laughs> two dots in the sky that they couldn't have been a plane. It was going around and I have no idea what it was compared to they took me up on the ship and, you know, <laughs> I was on the ship. They touched me. I 
I'm ups- I, I'm upset about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so, like, those are the stories you want to hear. The guy that says, I saw you. I saw two lights in the sky. Well, great. Anyway, what we're talking about here is disappointment. The, Ro- <sighs> the Roswell slides, when the smoking gun turned out to be a pea shooter, we were all really disappointed. And that's why uh, we think that this week's song, this week's Sunspot Paranormal song, is most appropriately one of our saddest songs about disappointment. Mm. This is called The Breach.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oop, real quick, Mike. What's that, Wendy? I was already out the door. I know. I was trying to catch you. I saw you heading that way, but <laughs> we're not done yet. Why? Oh, how could I forget our Patreon community? How could you, Mike? How could you? Well, the problem is I'm a jerk because only a jerk would not remember the coolest people we know. <laughs> that is the See You on the Other Side Patreon community. And we, we always, you know, we sound funny, but we really do mean that we appreciate each and every one of our community members in the Patreon. Mm-hmm. You make it possible for us to do these things and to keep the podcast going and to keep creating new songs and new videos and all kinds of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you. And if you'd like to join our community, how can they do that, Mike? They can do that if they check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate. That's othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And patrons, mark your calendars because we've got another hangout coming up on June 29th. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about that week because we'll, <laughs> we are. we'll be coming back from the Haunted America Conference uh, in Alton, yes. Illinois. And so we're going to have we're going to see new presentations, new speakers, new weird stuff for you. And uh, we'll talk about other Patreons and yeah, ask questions and things wait. like that. And looking forward to. And of course, we can't forget to say thank you to Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned is on the Patreon level where he gets a shout out in every single episode. So Dr. Thanks, Ned. Ned. Thank you, my man. And, and thanks for coming to our show last Friday. Yeah. And it was good to see, good to see you at the show too, buddy. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see you at Summerfest in July. Anyway, everybody in Patreon world, thank you very much. Everybody who's not in Patreon world, get there. And thanks for listening anyway. We love you too. Kisses. I was on the ship. They touched me. I, I'm, ups, I, I'm upset about it.